our podcast this week, Jay Baruchel teaches us all about random acts of violence, whilst Andre Overdahl talks about Mortal, aka Thor, like you've never seen him before. Plus, the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast. I went to a screening the other day, an actual screening. Guys, it was awful. It was dark. It was claustrophobic. I couldn't see a thing. Then I realized I had my mask on the top half of my face. Uh, luckily, once I adjusted it, it was much, much better. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I am joined by three, count them three, colleagues of such lethal cunning. Our geek queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. I also went to a screening this week. It's amazing. Oh, it's exciting. So amazing. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this cinema thing. Yeah. Whenever um, the well, we'll talk about it in a second. Let's introduce everyone mm. else first. We also were joined by our nerd emperor, James Dyer. Everything is proceeding as oh, I can't even remember the quote. I've gone. <laughs> I've, my, I've lost my Palpatine. Everything I've is lost proceeding my, as I that's have it. seen. That's the one. That's How it. How have you got Star Wars wrong? I don't know. It's upsetting, isn't it? In you my defense, what this I'm very tired. Take it. Strike take me down. And strike me down. Take your yes. father's place by my side. I've been doing, as you may have noticed, if anyone's been following me on Twitter, I've been doing a lot of that refacing app oh, thing uh, recently. But I cannot Palpatine. I have tried to reface onto Palpatine, but there's something about his face. It doesn't work. <laughs> You're already too corrupted by evil. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. the combination of the two things means it creates like a sort of black hole of evil and it can't. <laughs> It breaks the app. Too weak. I've tried Morticia <laughs> Adams and heartbreakingly, my face just doesn't fit her face. And, and it's Aww. just, it's not okay. I'm not, I'm my not Thanos okay. is pretty good. My, my, my transposition onto you. Thanos, yeah. that works quite well. Um, Arnie in Commando doesn't work because of the, the, the camo paint on his face. It kind of, it, it, weirdly, it did this thing where it's Arnie's face and then my face appeared over his eye, which was very upsetting and I immediately deleted it. But uh, yeah. Isn't that your like ideal scenario that you fuse with Arnold Schwarzenegger on a molecular <laughs> level, like some sort of David Cronenberg body horror thing? Yeah, well, that was the one I tweeted, which was the uh, the T eight hundred one. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> your clothes, give them to me. Uh, yeah, it's great. Anyway, the fourth member of our little troop this week has also been refacing or whatever the hell that thing is this this week incessantly on the Empire WhatsApp, and it's quite chilling. He is our George Harrison lookalike. He's been absent from the pod so long, he really has become the quiet. Quiet Poddle, but he's back <laughs> this week. It is John Nugent. Hello, John Nugent. Hello. I haven't done a George Harrison reface. That's the, the, the most obvious one was staring me in the face. That's crazy. It would just be a picture of George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did I did do a Keanu Reeves one, and it did look a little bit like me before I had a, a haircut at the height of lockdown. It's just like, you know, Keanu Reeves in Bill and Ted's era. He's just got hair coming out to, you know three meters wide it's weird when you do them like i did one of of, of jean-luc picard and i couldn't work out whether it had worked or not. <laughs> has it changed i can't quite see <laughs> i'm never doing it i'm also never seeing a film today i'm very excited <gasps> i i yeah i don't even know if i can remember how to watch films anymore what do you do do you, do you have to sit down and stand up how does it work yeah it's it's uh, honestly it's it's kind of um it's kind of weird it's like it's like riding a bike 
you know, you, you never forget uh, as you get into your seat. It's not seat. a lot like riding a bike, though, is it? You know, if you do that in a cinema, it's frowned upon. It's how I ride a bike. Um, you sit down, you you face forward, and they throw some light at the screen, and it all it's all very, very lovely. Uh, James and I were in the same screening of uh, a film. Fuck it, we can talk about it now. We're, uh, it's Tenet. We, we, so we've all seen Tenet, apart from John, who will not be discussing that film later on, unless he has seen it. But we all went to see Tenet. James and I went to the same screening, and Helen went uh, saw another screening. And honestly, whenever the film started, I had a big old giddy smile on my face because it was just like, I've been to see some films. I've paid to see some films in the cinema over the last couple of weeks. But there was something about this, you know, being back at a at a screening with none of the riffraff who pollutes, <laughs> you know, when you go to the cinema and there's, you know, there are people, you know, just ordinary, normal people just stinking up the joint. <laughs> oh my God, Ugh, you're disgusting, unbearable. disgusting. Speaking of riffraff, I was particularly gratified by the fact that they maybe sit five rows apart from you. So that was, uh, that was nice as well. Uh, they may have taken the social distancing a little bit to an extreme, was, but sure. Yes, because especially since we had, mm. had just had lunch together, we were yeah. like... <laughs> <laughs> and then we were forced to be 10 feet apart for the duration of the film. It was a godsend for you because it meant I couldn't, you know, reach over and uh, during the film and go, what's happening? <laughs> I don't, don't understand. understand. <laughs> the film hasn't started yet, Chris. <laughs> okay. Um, but yes, we'll talk about Tenet later on in the uh, in the show. But uh, yeah, the experience of being back in a cinema and watching movies, it, it nearly brought a tear to the eye, I have to say. Um- it's worth mentioning, like, there's a big uh, initiative going on, this sort of love cinema hashtag, which is doing the rounds on social media at the moment, because uh, uh, I think exhibitors are like, they're reopening and they're very excited and they want people to go to the cinema. So while we would obviously never condone putting yourself at risk in any way, uh, I do think we should be encouraging people, like, if, if you feel comfortable, if you have a mask, because you need one, you have to wear one, you know, go to the cinema. Like, Inception's been re-released, Tenet is coming out, there's stuff to watch, and it's very exciting, and frankly, no matter how big your TV, it is no substitute. So, you know, love cinema, and go. Mm. Not least of all, because it will keep the cinemas open, and that benefits all of us. I mean, there is that, isn't there? But uh, I've had loads of people, you know, say to me on Twitter, what was it like? You know, did you feel safe? Because I'm I'm scared to go. Uh, And I'm like you. I mean, we cannot, we cannot insist to people that they go and put themselves at risk. Uh, but you should go. You should go <laughs> right, right now. Even if you Stop die. Stop listening to this. It's yes. worth it. Death the needs is of the acceptable. many outweigh the needs of the few or you. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Listen to this. Stop listening. Listen. Go see a film. Lick a lamppost beforehand. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Anyway. How yes. contagious do you think lampposts are, though? I just... Very You'd be surprised. Contagious. They're super carriers. Okay. Yeah. Are they? Wow. <laughs> of light. You can't argue with science, Helen. <laughs> yes. I, I wouldn't argue with science, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, let's delve straight into this week's film fact section, the beloved film fact section. Q, James and Helen sign. Hmm. Yeah, there we go. That'll do. This week, I have dubbed it the incredibly strange people who stopped living and became mixed up movie fact zombies. That's pretty good. That works for me. Uh, It works. It's fine. Don't question it. Just go with it. So the idea behind this section, in case you're listening to the show for the first time, is that every week, the three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Helen and James, who are fixtures, and John, who is in a rotating fourth chair, bring me an obscure arcane movie fact that hopefully I won't know, and I award a point to the winner. John, this is the first time that you have done this. I think I gave you about half an hour's notice of this. So what have you managed to dredge up in the half hour? I mean, yes, luckily I have listened to the podcast, so I, I was aware this might be coming. Um, oh, despite thank God. The lack oh, okay. Of warning. okay, that's good. 
But I stand on the shoulders of, of fourth chair giants. Um, one of my favorite films of all time is Home Alone, and it's uh, <laughs> superior sequel Home Alone 2, so I thought I'd dredge up a little Great little sequel, factoid. great sequel. That's my Donald Trump. <laughs> hey, it's a great film in spite of Trump rather than because of it. Um, but uh, so it's a slightly meandering fact. So, oh God, as is tradition. As is tradition. Okay. I've I've taken from James. Can someone Dyer's just bring book. in a one sentence fact? I, I've actually got two facts. I've got a one sentence fact, oh. and I've got a several sentence fact. So the first oh. the first fact is. Uh, the picture of Buzz's girlfriend in Home Alone, the original Home Alone, uh, is actually a boy because they didn't want to hurt a girl's feelings because the joke is that Macaulay Culkin goes, Buzz, your girlfriend, woof. Um, and it's actually the son of the art director in a wig with, with fake awesome. braces. So that's, <laughs> wow. that's, that's one fact. The other fact okay. is uh, Greg Sestero from The Room, as in Robbie, Tommy Wiseau's uh, co-star in The Room, watched the original Home Alone as a 12-year-old and was so obsessed with this that he actually wrote an entire sequel. He wrote a script as a 12-year-old called Home Alone 2 Lost in Disney World. Um, and he wrote a part for himself to be like his friend, the friend of Macaulay Culkin's character. And it's got some surprising similarities to the actual sequel, Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. But he sent the script to John Hughes uh, with like marketing materials, like he drew a poster and stuff. Uh, and John Hughes eventually wrote him a reply saying, you know, th this is really great. Believe in yourself. Have patience. Always follow your heart. Uh, and uh, Greg Sestero says as a result of that, uh, he sort of decided to pursue his career in, in movie making. So technically, Home Alone 2 is partly responsible for The Room. That is my fact. <laughs> I mean, if, it, if it wasn't already bad enough, <laughs> it's responsible for The Room as well. Right. Hell's Bells. Hello. You're next. I've got a, a much more boring fact by comparison. I was going to talk about the only person to win two Oscars for the same acting role in one night. What? Yes, Harold Russell, for Twas He, um, is one of only two non-professional actors ever to win uh, an acting Oscar. Uh, the other one is Heng S. Engor for, for The Killing Fields. Um, and Russell uh, won both of his for The Best Years of Our Lives, the William Wyler film about oh, yeah. World War II veterans coming home. And he was a veteran, but he had basically been serving in a training camp stateside after joining the army. And he was an army instructor teaching demolition work. And he was handling some TNT one day, which was defective and blew up in his hands. And he lost both hands and got two hook hands instead. But he had an extraordinary life anyway. He you know, went to business school, became a very successful businessman, became a, a campaigner for veterans' rights and so on. But also he was in a documentary called Diary of a Sergeant, which was about rehabilitating war veterans, which William Wyler saw and cast him on the back of that in the best years of our lives. And he's very, very good in the film. He basically plays a, you know, a man who loses both of his hands in the war. Uh, and then has to try and, you know, navigate mm -hmm. life uh, afterwards. And he was up for this Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, but basically the Academy didn't think he was going to win. So they awarded him an honorary Oscar for bringing hope and courage to his fellow veterans. The patronising pricks. The patronising <laughs> pricks. Whereupon he won and so got two Oscars in the same night for... Uh, the single performance. Wyler then, you know, he was kind of kicking about. He was trying to decide what to do. Did, did he stick with the acting? Because he did have, you know, an Oscar in each hand, as it were. And, and Wyler basically told him there were 
there weren't many roles for actors without hands and he should go back to business school instead. So he went to Boston University and got his business degree there. He, he wrote uh, an autobiography called Victory in My Hands as well. He did tiny bits more acting as well. He was in a film called Inside Moves and Dogtown in 1997. Basically, he was a private citizen for the rest of his life, but he did uh, get controversy on one more occasion. He sold his Best Supporting Actor Oscar to an auction site, um, and which was sold to a private collector then for $60,000. Now, because he won his prior to 1950, when they brought in the royal rule that you can't sell your Oscar, he was able to do that, but they still tried to slap him on the wrist for it. He said he had to do it to pay his wife's medical bills. The Academy claimed he actually did it because they wanted to take a cruise. But in any case, it was uh, something that would not be allowed nowadays. But he still had one spare. So, you know, why would you not? What are they? What's he going to do with them? Precisely. So that's the story of Harold Russell. So what's the fact? That was the fact that he won two Oscars in one night for the set for one performance. He won two Oscars in one night for the same role. It's a good yeah. fact. Jimbo, how much runway do you need for this? I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna take you up on your offer of a one-line fact next week because also that's less uh. work for me. So that would be excellent. So next week, one-line fact. I'll see if I can come up with one. This week, though, I wish to talk about multi-hyphenates. So. People often obviously laud the likes of James Cameron for having his finger in every pie uh, on a film set. But even King Jim cannot hold a candle to one Jackie Chan, who is officially the busiest person, I think, working on film sets. Because, because when Jackie made uh, Chinese Zodiac back in 2012, he not only played the lead character, the brilliantly named Asian Hawk, but he was also writer, director, producer, exec producer, cinematographer, art director, unit production manager, catering coordinator, stunt coordinator, gaffer, composer, theme tune vocalist, props and stunt man a total of 15 jobs which is at least 14 more than any sane person needs and for which he was awarded a guinness world record but of course it's jackie chan he didn't even do that by half so when they presented him with this guinness world record he they presented him with a second one at exactly the same time because he had also completed more stunts than any other living actor so he received a second award for that as well but that's just what he got up to recently he actually has another guinness world record dating all the way back to 1982 and the production of dragon lord where there's i don't know if you've ever seen the film there's a pyramid fight scene and it was so elaborate it took an amazing 2900 takes to get right which frankly is a number that would have made Stanley Kubrick fall down and cry. So he has what? a record for that too. You've made and both of these up. I have not made this up. These are actually true. And you can and I did verify it on the Guinness website. Yeah, but how did they verify it? Here's a presumably What's their process. Have, I think Norris McWhorter comes in or something. I'm not entirely sure. You just write two thousand nine hundred on a little clapperboard <laughs> and then they go, Oh well, yeah, that's clearly. it. Oh, it <laughs> must be true. It yes. must be true. Um but okay, here's here's one for you. So he took the title of most roles on a film production from the previous record holder. Would anyone like to guess who that previous record holder was? Orson Welles. It was not. Anyone else? No. What, what, what year was this? What year was this? Uh, well, it would have been prior to 2012. That's, yeah, that's what so I'm going to give you so before then. Okay. Also, can I just say that I, I'm deeply suspicious of that uh, world record as well. He was unit production manager as well. Are you <laughs> kidding me? He was going for the world record, man. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's... He may have manipulated it slightly. Yeah. Nevertheless, the record I would, stands. I would never want to disparage Jackie, but... <laughs> <laughs> well... Well, Jackie took that title from writer, director, producer, visual, visual effects supervisor, camera operator, production designer, sound editor, and composer, 
Robert Rodriguez, who had eleven yeah, yeah. to Jackie's yeah. fifteen. Uh, um, so, but but Rodriguez isn't left empty-handed because he actually still has a record lying around for El Mariachi, which was the lowest budgeted film ever to gross one million dollars at the box office. In fact, it made two million dollars off a production budget of just over seven grand. And David Fincher has just broken the record for the most number of takes on Mank, <laughs> where he made Gary Oldman bite into an apple four and a half thousand times before he was satisfied. That seems entirely reasonable. Yes. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Three very good facts, I have to say. So much so, I don't know if I can pick a winner. I really don't. They were very, very good facts. I think John. Hang yeah. on. Hang on. How is John winning? I also think John. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I've got a fact for you. Your fact was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. There's a vote against John now. I'm not sure how this is going to go. Uh, I don't know. John's was a good fact. Uh, Helen's was also was, was a good fact. It was a good fact. So I think, weirdly enough, I'm going to give it... Oh, no, it's a tie. It's a tie. This week, everybody oh, no gets ties. a point. No yep. ties. Oh, my God. You make a mockery of this... Bastard section. <laughs> I can't. I can't choose because usually one of the facts is absolute rubbish, and that's fine. Usually it's yours, Jimbo. But uh, <laughs> this week it was pretty good, and John came in with a good one. He started high. He raised the bar. Then Helen, you know, banged her head off the bar, but still managed to get o- over it or under it. And then, yeah, and then you came in at the end. So I'm going to give you each a point, which effectively renders this week redundant. But nevertheless, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. well done, everybody. And that's that a fucking is metaphor for you there. Incredibly strange people who stopped living and became mixed up movie fact zombies ta-da okay time now for the listener's question which this week comes to me from at mad hatter 351 on twitter and they ask very very simply what is the best netflix original film and they go on to say because in the empire movie group too many people have been saying that eurovision nonsense when it's clearly marriage story or paddleton i am here for the Eurovision nonsense, as in, I think it's nonsense, not that it's a good film. But this is a this is an interesting question. Well, the answer is Bird Box. Anyway, let's move the on. The answer is not Bird Box. You're an idiot. <laughs> the answer is not Bird Box. It, not a single person associated with Bird Box would say Bird Box. <laughs> of course they would. It's the best film ever. I'm I'm I think I'm in the Marriage Story camp here. I realise that there's the Irishman and so on as well, but um, mm. I personally prefer and love more. Uh, marriage story. So just to be clear, Uncut Gems doesn't count, does it? No. Because while it was, it's not a Netflix original film, is it? But oh, what I is a know. Netflix original film? Because a lot of their Netflix originals were made by other people. I mean, The Irishman was a Paramount film. They mm. call their acquisitions Netflix originals, yes. which makes things very yeah, confusing. Which, okay, so but, then does Marriage Story not count? And then they also call TV shows they acquire. So they, they, yes. know, they call mm. Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad Netflix original series. Netflix, and it's like, they're yeah. not. They're not. But, uh, but hey-ho, they pay their money. They can, they can say what they want. But there are lots of movies that Netflix actually fund yes. and put That's- the money up for. Wasn't the first one they did, Beasts of No Nation? Was That, that was their yes. first, wasn't That it? was an yeah. acquisition, yes. It was an acquisition, so they didn't make it. No. So that doesn't count? Let's just oh, say no, yes. Maybe, if, maybe if, are, we if, saying, are we saying, is it an acquisition which does not, had not been elsewhere first? If it has premiered on Netflix, then I'm going to allow it. Uh, because right, the first Netflix movie that they actually made with their own hard-earned uh, money was The Ridiculous Six. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, that's, that's not winning, so just like FYI. So the first big noise film they did was Bright, wasn't it? In terms of like the first quote-unquote Netflix blockbuster was Bright, uh, which cost a shit ton of money and was a shit ton of something. Of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Largely. 
Um, yes. So this is the interesting thing. Like their their track record until the last few years with movies that they funded themselves has not been good. Um, but obviously then over the last couple of years, they've had Roma, they've had Marriage Story, mm. they've had The Irishman, they've had Murder Mystery, uh, they've had other <laughs> oh movies God. like that as well. And then recently, of course, you know, they had... You know, they've had some absolute stinkers, like some truly, truly dreadful pieces of, of dreck, like Six Underground, like the aforementioned Eurovision. I will never mm. understand for as long like as I live why people mm. like that movie. Yeah. There's a sequel to The Kissing Booth as well, isn't there? Yeah, like, that's what I said, uh, The Kissing Booth 2. Mm. The Kissing Booth is <laughs> oh, right. bad, but not dreadful. The Kissing Booth 2 is dreadful. Really bad. <laughs> right, good to know. Yeah. But they do seem to churn out a lot of just quite trashy rubbish <laughs> because I guess they need the, the library, don't they? They just need people keep coming but back. They, they've got some good stuff in there. For example, yeah. Bird Box, which is a horror masterpiece. <laughs> oh but also, surely John Romer is up there for you. No, I think Romer is my answer, I would say. Romer yeah. is Romer's like a just a gold standard masterpiece. Um, I think it's it's really, really good. Uh, that, it's really, really good. Is my it's no bird box, but <laughs> consider sure. really. I mean, yeah, if Marriage Story doesn't kind, of, and I kind of think it does. It's on the Wikipedia. I list. think it does. Um, but if if not that, then Roma for me because I think both of those are just mm. extraordinary, extraordinary but, pieces but of filmmaking. Mustn't forget Dolomite is my name, which is amazing. Yes. Uh, and mm, also, yeah. I'd, I'd put in a shout for El Camino as well, which I think is great. That's a good point. How do you feel about this year's Netflix film output in particular? Because The Five Bloods is obviously. I think probably the high point for this year, you know, just yeah, narrowly, easy. narrowly pipping the wrong Missy to that particular crown. Oh God. Uh, Extraction's and of course pretty the three good. Star that is the old guard. Um, Extraction. I liked Extraction. Yeah. yeah. I really liked the Lovebirds. I mean, the, the thing about Netflix is that, yes, they make a lot of dreck, but they also make, and I think the record is getting better on some of their more prestige projects as well. And also, quite frankly, we should acknowledge the fact that they are, they're giving a lot of quality prestige premium filmmakers their heads mm -hmm. you know the likes of you know gareth evans movie apostle um you know wouldn't have got made anywhere yeah. else you know noah Baumbach is able to go to them for the mayorate stories you know new and selected or or marriage story scorsese is able to go to them to help get the irishman over the line alfonso cuaron spike lee these are incredible filmmakers who aren't getting movies made of this scale and scope anywhere else in town um and so you would take a dozen Six Undergrounds. And listen, I'm not the biggest fan of the Irishman. I, I really, I'm really not. But you would take a dozen Six Undergrounds if it meant they can make one Irishman. They, they've got some really exciting stuff coming up as well. You know, they've got, uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things, which is Charlie Kaufman's new film mm. out in a few weeks. And David Fincher's Mank is out later this year. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio movie, I think they just announced the cast for that. Um, that's on Netflix. And of as well. course, like, the four star masterpiece that will be The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So, you know, we can look forward to that <laughs> as well. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> also, they're really the only people who are actually making rom-coms at the moment. Like, that's not really a thing that any mm. of the studios are doing. And, you know, while there's been the odd kissing booth too, uh, there's also been <laughs> really, really good ones. I mean, To All the Boys I Loved Before is really cute teen rom-com. Sierra, Sierra Burgess's Loser was quite cute as well. And then recently, the half of it, I think, is a fantastic, fantastic film. And, and you know, speaking mm -hmm. of giving directors their head, that's a really sort of good launching pad, I think, for bigger things for Alice Wu, because I think she does a magnificent job there. So um, yeah. it's good to see that kind of diversity that we're not getting on the big screen anymore. Yeah, things like Uncourt, which is the uh, the movie yeah. I was banging on about a couple of months ago as well. And because they make so much, I think you're. I think James hit the nail on the head a, a couple of minutes ago when he said they have to bulk up their library. Because I think we're going to head 
down a path where eventually every studio is going to take control of its library for streaming purposes. You know, they'll have looked at the success of Disney Plus and they'll have gone, all right, we should be doing that. So HBO Max is essentially that for Warner Brothers in the States. It's going to happen over here, I'd, I'd say, sooner rather than later. So Netflix will only really have some maybe legacy titles left over plus whatever they generate themselves. Then, of course, there's a question of, is that enough to justify the subscription every month, which gives them the money to make these things? Um, but, you know, that's a bridge we can cross later. But uh, I'd say right now they're making, God, I mean, I looked at it already this year, they've made somewhere in the region of, or they've produced on their uh, on their service, somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 movies. Um, and, you know, that is way more than any other studio in Hollywood. And the good thing is about this is it's throwing down the gauntlet to the likes of uh, Amazon Prime and the likes of Apple who are beginning to get involved in, in cinema in a big, big way. So, yeah, while I think the output is variable, every now and again, there's a there's a real gem. You know, there's a Lovebirds or an Uncorked or a, or a murder mystery or, you know, just something oh that, you God. know, that... <laughs> That people truly, truly love. Got to give a shout out to Okja as well. Um, that's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Super pig. <laughs> Super pig. That is the sort of film that you feel could only have been made at Netflix. You know, that it's just such a weird idea. Yeah. So um, do we all have different answers for this? Uh, James, your answer, is it literally, if, if your answer is genuinely Bird Box, I'm going to come over there and beat you to death with your own microphone. I swear to God, if you were to ask me, I'm not the best, if you were to ask me which is my favourite, the answer is Bird Box. <laughs> Mainly because it's the best. <laughs> Prepare to be beaten to death with your own microphone. <laughs> Unbelievable. And John, your your uh, your Roma? Yes, Roma, one hundred percent. Fantastic. Hell's bells. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with Marriage Story. Although I will admit that I'll probably watch Extraction more often than Marriage <laughs> Story because it requires a little bit less, you know, emotional commitment. So yeah, I don't know. This is really tricky. Oh, Gerald's Game. That's a good one. That is a good one. Oh, I'm just going through the list here. There's a, there's a very helpful list on Wikipedia, which is which is useful. As they started off with Beast No Nation, Ridiculous Six, PB's Big Holiday. Oh, the do-over. Um, but not all their Adam Sandler movies are terrible. Murder Mystery is great. But let me see what else. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. That's really good. No love for Mute or Outlaw King. No. See, Mute, I, I, I liked Mute. Mm. I know that the you know, people were down on Mute, but I thought it was... You know, it wasn't as good as Moon, but few things are. It's no Spencer Confidential. It's no Spencer Confidential. No, Don't not. even That's, get me started goodness. on Spencer yeah. Confidential. <laughs> if I could double bill that and Murder Mystery, then I'm very, very happy. Uh, the Night Comes for Us is a great uh, action movie um, from from Indonesia. That's that's got some absolutely belting scenes. Uh, we haven't talked about the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I yeah. like that. Or yeah. at least I like about, you know, four sixths of, of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're helping the Coens make movies. They're helping um, Steven Soderbergh make movies. High Flying Bird, I think it's fairly, you know, minor Soderbergh, but it, at least it's it's up there. It's, you know, good. And it's good that they're, they're making the movies and giving them the money. Uh, same with Seen the Perfection. That's a, that's a weird film. No, have I missed no, that's out? That's a good one. Check it out. I'm surprised, Helen, you didn't mention Always Be My Maybe. Oh, I meant to. That was on my list. Yeah, it's a, it's fantastic, and not just because of the greatest cameo in movie history, but also because of the greatest cameo in movie history, or one of them. <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a completely charming film, and that's what I mean. Like they're doing rom coms in a way that nobody is doing rom coms anymore, and and I think that's a that's a great example of the yeah. genre. Get this. So this is this perhaps details the the Netflix strategy or lack thereof at the moment. So. 
December 6th of last year, they released Marriage Story. Okay? Prestige, Oscar bait. One week later, they released Six Underground, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. A week after that, they released The Two Popes, Prestige, Oscar bait. So there's a bit of... This is, you it's know, a shit it's almost, Yeah. <laughs> a very, very big... Multi-decker shit sandwich. And don't forget, somewhere in there, probably well before December, there was a Christmas Prince 2, which <laughs> is also wreck of the highest order. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get to that time of the year and all you want to watch is terrible Hallmark movies where people fall in love in castles, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it's definitely a phenomenon. So, you know, you know, you know, actress will do one for me and one for them. Is that yeah. how Netflix are doing it? Ted Sarandos is going, this one's for me, that one's for them. Yeah, I think there might be an issue. Yeah. I think there might be. All right. Well, um, hopefully that has answered your question. I don't think I actually chose one. And you know what? I'm not going to. Oh my God. No, you have to. No, do you I made have all to? of us do it. Captain no, indecision here. You're going to say murder mystery, so just I'm say, not gonna murder say murder mystery. mystery. And get it I'm not going to say murder mystery because it's just not go my favourite. You know you want to. I'm not going to go with Bird Box, you moron. Um, <laughs> I really liked The Five Bloods. So I, okay. I think that's the best movie they have released. I wasn't a huge fan of The Irishman. Mm, so I'm going to go with me. The Five Bloods. I just thought it was Scorsese doing a Scorsese cover. Mm. Boo. Boo. Boo to you, sir. Boo. There weren't enough superheroes in it. <laughs> he said those nasty things about Marvel. Screw him. Screw it's him. It's not real cinema. It's not real cinema. <laughs> anyway, uh, that is it for our listener question. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Apple Podcast and treat it with the respect it deserves, as at Mad Hatter three five one found to their cost, you can get in touch with us. Well, mainly through Twitter at the moment in lockdown. Um, you can send uh, me DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt. My DMs are open, or you can reply to any tweet I put out, or you can wait until usually every two weeks or so. I will give a shout out to ask you for questions, and then you can reply to Lowe's. Right, time now for our first guest. He's making a fairly quick return to the pod booth after last year's scary stories to tell in the dark. But already, Andre Overdahl, the Norwegian director of that movie and the classic Troll Hunter, is back with another flick which he shot before Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. It is called Mortal. It's available right now, uh, wherever you get your digital downloads. It's the story of a young man who comes to Norway with questions about the strange elemental powers that he has begun to display. And it's a grounded take on Norse mythology and the legend of Thor. And I caught up with Andre over a Squadcast earlier this week to talk about that and his very, very crowded slate. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined, returning to the Empire Podcast, the director of Mortal, Mr. Andre Overdahl. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you? Oh, you know, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, whereabouts in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Oslo, downtown Oslo, so where I've been since uh, the virus arrived. So when the virus arrived, did you head straight for Oslo? Were you already there and just decided to hunker down? What happened? I mean, I was here and I was actually literally sitting with my suitcases packed in the middle of the night when, uh, when Trump came on TV at 1 a.m. Uh, European time mm-hmm. uh, and said, oh, we're closing down the borders so nobody gets in after Friday or whatever. And it was like, and I called my producers in L.A. who I, I was going there to start prep on the next movie. And I said, yeah, well, uh, this is going to work, is it? <laughs> so here we are, six months later. <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully we'll gear yeah. up again when they get it under control. 
So how close were you? Because this was the this was a long walk. The last time you were on the Emperor podcast was to talk about scary stories to tell in the dark, and that was that was a lovely interview because you were actually in person. We were in a room together. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I could reach out and touch you if I wanted to. Not that I would. Obviously, there there are barriers. These sort of things. Um, and you know, we were talking about what you were doing next, and the long walk even then was kind of looming large on the to-do list and you you were coming really close were you were you about to go start shooting were you deep in prep yeah i mean i was supposed to go and do hard prep on that movie um on long walk when Mm. that happened when we got stopped um but it's still there uh i'm still dealing with the the movie on a weekly basis on things Mm. uh and we just have to wait it out in a way I wish you all the best in that, and uh, I may ask you a little bit more about that towards the end of the interview. But uh, yeah. but in terms of Mortal, you, you shot it obviously before Scary Stories, but was it something that you'd been working on for a while? Because it's the first time since Troll Hunter that you've returned to telling a Norwegian story in Norway. Um, so was it something that you were looking at post Troll Hunter? Has this been on your has this been on your your to do list for for some time? Yeah, I mean, it's been percolating. I mean, the idea was created in 2012 um, after a talk with uh, one of the producers, Brian Cavanaugh Jones, um, and I pitched this idea to him and he loved it. And we got Nordisk Film involved and we got um, uh, a British company called 42 uh, involved. And we were all uh, basically trying to get the script right for a long, long time. That took uh, two, three years. And then, or in that period, Jane Doe came about, and so it was postponed till after Jane Doe, and then uh, the autopsy of Jane Doe, obviously. And then um, mm-hmm. uh, after that, uh, we started going back at Mortal with uh, you know a new rewrite, and then uh, shot it, and then scary stories, and then <laughs> it was a long journey, basically, from 2012 till this very day. Yeah. What was the, the original idea for you? Was it sparked in a way by, you know, 2012? So it's just after the first Thor movie has come out. So at that point, are you, are you kind of burning with a righteous fire to, to reclaim Thor <laughs> from Marvel and go, this is what, this is our Norwegian legend and we're going to do it <laughs> the right way or we're going to do it in an interesting way? I mean, there is a, maybe something of that in there, but I don't have anything against the Marvel uh, depiction of Thor. I think actually they're quite close to, I mean, in certain uh, parts of it, they're quite close to the legends. I mean, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, their Thor is much more similar to the way Thor is depicted in also Norwegian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, there is less laser beams and stuff, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in, the, in general, I was more about, okay, I do think that Northern mythology is, is something we haven't done much with in Norway for Norwegian sake. And um, I was more about making a very grounded, realistic, almost dark story about this, uh, about, mm. and be very different from even more so than the Thor depiction in the Marvel universe, actually be very different from the way the Thor has been depicted in, in mm. culture, in, in literature, in history generally. Uh, and I was uh, very excited to be able to tweet because it's not actually a movie about Thor. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, obviously a descendant. So he could be very different. He didn't need to be that specific character. 
And that was exciting to me to be able to tell that to a, a, make a movie for a Norwegian audience in principle about our own culture, which is something I'm preoccupied with generally. Um, and there's so much. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that you explore in this movie. Uh, you know, the the, the Yggdrasil. I'm, I'm, I apologize for my terrible pronunciation. No, it's all there, there are there are elements. Again, I do not want to give away um, that you uh, of Norse mythology and of the legend of Thor that you touch on in this movie. But there's an awful lot as well that you don't. So, you know, in a way, when you're making a movie like this, do you are you deliberately leaving stuff? off the table just in case you can revisit and make a sequel down the line? I mean, generally, also with Trollhunter and actually Mortal, is the, I, I, I do believe that sometimes in movies, um, mythology can get too complex. So you actually spend so much time explaining the mythology that you just have a, a lot of talking heads about it because it's mm-hmm. just so it's vivid and it's amazing, but it's tricky in a movie. So I have this general approach that only the things that you can kind of remember by yourself should really dominate the movie. Details, okay. yes, absolutely. But if you can't really remember it, it's, it might not be important enough to, to factor into a movie. So mm-hmm. that's like a basic, and then of course it's a it's a nuanced thing that that isn't a black and white truth. There's also there's a there's a, a line in the movie, and I'm, I'm maybe slightly paraphrasing here, but it's that uh, most people have the capacity to to do good, and I think that's something that's at the very very heart of this movie. That you have your protagonist, your 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 hero, uh, Eric, is someone who lashes out an awful lot. He is filled with a lot of anger, a lot of questions, a lot of a lot of rage. Uh, he's driven by mystery. He doesn't quite know who he is or why he has these incredible powers. Um, but I think one of the things that drives him and drives the film is this this notion of is good inherent? Is that something that we, we possess? Yeah, no, I mean, that uh, bridge between, uh, in a way, uh, yeah, I, I don't believe anybody is just good or just bad. I think we have mm-hmm. egotistical sides to all, all of us have narcissistic sides we have uh, bad and good sides and i think that's important especially in a movie where about somebody who is vilified so much as he is in the beginning um that we, we keep a balance and also i think it's sometimes you know in in big hollywood movies sometimes the villains can get a little bit too villainous uh, yes. to be able to motivate huge negative actions um, and I wanted to make sure that we tr- try to do something different, basically. And there's one thing I think we can probably talk about in terms of spoilers uh, in the movie, uh, which is that Eric, very early on, is responsible for someone's death. And throughout the movie, actually, he's very dangerous. You know, anyone around him is in, is in jeopardy because he's he's not in control of his powers. Um, I thought that was a really fascinating line for you for you to walk. You know, traditionally, you know, you you have to keep your heroes quite sympathetic. You don't have them bumping off people in the first five minutes, Andre. So, <laughs> <laughs> can you talk? Can you talk about that that approach again? I guess it goes back a little bit to the idea of inherent good and inherent evil. But uh, yeah. you know, can you talk about that that, that idea for you? Yeah, no, it was, uh, that was obviously a very big negative for the character. If you look at it, you know, in a basic, um, save the cat way. Um, but it's, but I, I, you have to kind of balance it with making him likable and making him in pain over it. And you have to empathize with him, uh, with his situation. And 
I find it intriguing to be able to try to tell that story piece by piece mm. so that the audience still sympathizes with him despite doing something like that. So to set that up and then try to change the audience's you know, thoughts about it is intriguing. Mm. Yeah. I, I really loved how realistic it felt and how, as you say, grounded was, was something that you were going for. And there are aspects in this movie that are very realistic in terms of what would happen and how people would react if someone with godlike powers appeared on the planet. So some people you know, would start worshipping him. Some people would, would be fearful of him. Some people would want to kill him. Um, did you want to make sure that you covered all the bases in terms of people's uh, emotional response to, to a figure like this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of a, an idea of the movie was to explore the ge a general reaction to basically a, a, a godlike, Jesus-like character who roams the earth again. And how do you treat a person like that? How would a local little community handle that, both physically and emotionally? Um, and uh, and how it would spread and as you say the different points of view in on it um because there are as with any cultish person there will be positive hugely positive reactions and negative reactions um mm. and i uh, and i tr yeah i wanted to uh, put those aspects into the movie because i feel like i, I like to tell stories about consequences so you have one yeah. Uh, thing like yeah there are trolls in this world or there are northern gods in this world or something and then the movie is actually about the consequences of that um and uh that's kind of what this was aiming at as well uh you know you have a, a whole ton of movies coming up um as you mentioned you know the the long walk is you know i'm a huge stephen king fan and uh, we talked about this a little bit last when you were last on the podcast um you know it's one of those stories that I had always felt was potentially, because I don't think there is such a thing anymore, but potentially unfilmable. Um, but clearly you have cracked the code, you know, so, um, you know, hopefully that's going to be the next thing for you. Cinematically, how are you going to approach that, that story? I mean, it's a very subjectively told story from Garrett's point of view uh, in the book. And we, the, you know, Jamie Vanderbilt's script is really amazing at picking out everything that is really fantastic about the book and, uh, and actually distilling it down to movie scenes, workable movie scenes. And I think we will probably layer it with a subjective uh, point of view around Garrity, um, how he sees the world uh, and experiences it. So that's, mm. he's our, you know, he is our protagonist. And in the book, obviously it's, pretty much told from his point of view in an extreme manner. The way that we get to know other characters through his, through his um, POV is always really interesting. The way that, you know, the King slash Bachman compresses the, the time frame as well. It's also interesting. I, I cannot wait to see how you do this. It's, it's one of my favorite King stories. So, you know, I wish you all the best with that. And, uh, yeah. and then, after that, are you still, you know, you've, I know you've got a whole a laundry list of movies after that. So you've got Scary Stories 2. Um, are you still working on the last voyage of, of the Demeter? Is that something yes. that you're still, have, still working on? Absolutely. We're uh, tiddling with the script uh, as we speak, practically. Uh, so it's, uh, 
Oh, that's a, a movie I absolutely love, a project I love. Uh, so both Long Walk and and uh, that, and also Scary Stories too. We're quite deep into the development of that as well. So it's been a busy time. I mean, all these movies are constantly we're constantly working on it on a daily, weekly basis. But it's just that the shoot is a little bit. When are we shooting these movies? Yeah, and obviously. Well, I just hope they won't collide. I hope we can figure out the way to make all of them. Not at the same time, although that, that might stretch your powers <laughs> a little bit. I just wanted to ask really, really quickly about the uh, the, the last voyage of, of Demeter, which is obviously you know, inspired based on a passage from Bram Stoker's Dracula that we, the reader, never gets to actually delve into. So is that exciting? You're filling in the blanks of one of the most famous incidents in that in that novel yeah oh absolutely and i think this will be a, a take on that and a take on dracula as a character that we've never seen before so he's going to be tall and blonde is that what you're saying <laughs> yeah. it's hemsworth that's a spoiler <laughs> it's a reverse mortal and you're just yeah. going to call it immortal oh my god is it is this how you're tying all the movies together yeah, oh, well. <laughs> it's my universe. I've, yeah. I've stumbled upon it. I know too much. I must be killed. Uh, Andre, I'm going <laughs> to let you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to let you go, but well, it's been a pleasure thanks. as always, sir. And uh, best luck yeah, with everything. you too. Thank you. Great talking to you. Okay, so that was Andre Overdahl. Time now for movie news. Where should we start? Can we start with Harry Potter? Uh, specifically the spell Axio Cash, whereby Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone has passed $1 billion 19 years after it was released theatrically. So it's taking its time. It's taking its time, but it has got there in the end. What, the film? The yep. film, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, is now a billion-dollar movie because because it was about 17 million short, and they re-released it in July in China in a 4K IMAX 3D format uh, to try and get people back into the cinemas, and it hoovered up the last bit of cash, and it has crossed the billion-dollar threshold. The second only Potter film to do that, uh, it's corresponding one at the other end, uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2, I think, I think at 1.4 billion. So there you go. Happy Cash Harry. <laughs> that's amazing how much butterbeer is he going to buy now <laughs> kind of puts uh, the Fantastic Beast series into perspective a little bit doesn't it it really does it really does yeah. um, you know but you know I'm sure Fantastic Beast 3 will really kick that franchise <laughs> hey as long as it starts the, the meta story of the franchise that would be super <laughs> as long as it's entertaining I'd settle for that yeah. I'd settle for passively entertaining at this point <laughs> Vaguely coherent and passively entertaining. I don't ask too much. Chris, Chris, don't aim so high. Come on, <laughs> yeah. be reasonable. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yes, yeah, so much important news here. Um, where to start? Oh, I don't know. Jensen Ackles maybe being cast in The Boys <laughs> season three. You say that. <laughs> I knew you would bring that up. This is exciting news. The Boys, I am actually watching The Boys season two at the moment because I'm reviewing it for the Pilot TV <gasps> podcast. I can't tell you what I think of it because it is embargoed until Monday, but you can hear about that when we review it on the Pilot TV podcast, which is out on Monday. Thumbs up or down? Um, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> <laughs> visual gag there <laughs> what I can say is I watched the first season and really enjoyed it I do think it's a little bit 
I mean, like the comics it's based on, obviously, it's a little bit like, oh, look how violent we are. Isn't that clever? Um, yeah. And I'm a bit, I get a bit tired of that sometimes. I'm like, oh, and yes. Oh, like the eighth person's head has just blown up. Cool, I guess. <laughs> I'm a little tired of heads blowing up, but sure, if that's your thing, I suppose I respect I can't it. Get you know what they them. say, Helen, when you're tired of heads blowing up, you're tired of life. <laughs> I mean, yes, I guess. I guess you would be because you would have, you know, no head. Anyway, I think this is good casting. So Jensen Ackles has been cast as a character called Soldier boy who is a kind of cap-like figure. Uh, of course, it being the boys, it won't be quite that simple. Yes, he'll be killed horribly, no doubt. <laughs> Probably. Um, and certainly he'll have some other shit going on. But yeah, I think it's it's good, first of all, to hear him taking a post-supernatural role, because of course they are now back filming the last couple of episodes of Supernatural. They went into quarantine so they could do so. Hopefully they have a plan that allows them to, to mm-hmm. finish the show as it should be finished. With a, The nipples are six feet apart. <laughs> you know what? Somebody tweeted me uh, this week going, I'm sure you'll be talking about this on the podcast, and I'm sure Chris will bring up nipples a lot. So thank you for making that person's day. I brought up nipples once. Well, now twice. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so they're fin- they're finishing Supernatural at the minute, and it's really good to see Jens Knuckles get another role because he seems like a good person by all accounts, and I think he's a good actor. I think he's really good in that show. He's got real range, and was the best part of Supernatural. So hurrah for the boys! Oh, that's a controversial statement. Yeah, you're a Padalecki yeah. hater. I am shocked and yeah. appalled. I'm not a Padalecki. I mean, it it can be a shock, James. I've been quite clear <laughs> on this point throughout <laughs> the last fifteen years. <laughs> Poor old Chibi Libidub. What was his face? Him. I mean, Jared that Padalecki. Yeah. That's him. That yeah. fella. He Poor seems nice him. too. But, what about the other fella, the one who plays Castile? And Mish also seems like a complete weirdo, but in a great way. Yeah, love him. Anyway, we're excited about that. John Nugent, the, the editor of the news section of Empire. John Newsgent, do you have any news? Newsgent, yes, I do. I do. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is yeah. uh, joining The Crown season four. Four is it that she joins? Season five and uh, six, John. Season five, five, yeah, and, five six. and six. I'm hot on the news as always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a one-man Woodward and Bernstein. <laughs> <laughs> she is playing Princess Diana in news that I think everyone seemed very happy about. I mean, visually, that makes a lot of sense. She's also, uh, as we've seen in a lot of stuff, an excellent actor. Mm-hmm. I have never seen The Crown and I never will see The Crown because I hate <laughs> the royal family. Uh, I hate oh, everything wow. they stand for and um, I'm not a scab. Up the revolution. But, <laughs> but you know, it's good casting news. Good for her. I have seen The Crown, even though I also disagree with everything they stand for. Um, it's just a weird show that should in theory be about the Queen and they actually realise she's quite boring so it's about a lot of men in rooms talking like a lot like so much men in rooms talking you wouldn't believe it but she seems like good casting I just wonder how tall Prince Charles is going to be because <laughs> yeah you know, she's six she's, foot three yeah she's, she's, she's a very tall lady so uh, that could be visually in- entertaining Jonathan Price is going to play Prince Philip and Imelda Staunton's going to be the Queen obviously. So what time frame are they tackling here? What age are we talking about for Prince Charles? In his 40s? I think we're talking, yeah, 80s and 90s, right? So Yeah. yeah. I think it, I think it'll be early 90s, because we've already had Princess Diana in the most recent season or the upcoming season, I forget which, um, as a young, like, teenage Princess Diana, I think. Josh O'Connor played Prince Charles. Mm-hmm. It'll be when it all kicks off in the 90s, I think. Also, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what time frame this covers because Peter Morgan, who's the creator and, and writer of the show, has already covered the death of Diana and how it impacted the Queen yeah. in 
the Queen. So is he going to go there again? He's already covering a lot of material he's already covered in the audience, for example, the, the, the play that he did about the Queen and her relationship with all her different prime ministers. So I don't think he minds anymore, to be yeah. honest. Okay. Um, so I think if if they if they come to that, then they'll presumably take a slightly different angle on it. But mm. but yeah, there's it's not necessarily. It's weird though. It's a weird show. They seem to have skipped the attempted kidnapping of Princess Anne, which you would think would be like a cool thing they would want to cover. But as far as I can tell from the time frames, they just didn't bother. So I, I don't know. The, the dramatic decisions they've made have slightly baffled me as a result. Anything else going on in the world of news? Yes, Olivia Wilde. Olivia oh, Wilde yeah. is making a Marvel movie. The rumour is, there's certainly strong suggestions, it's a Spider-Woman movie. Um, and she will be working on that with her um, Booksmart co-writer um, as well, which is extremely exciting because I'm a very, very, very big uh, Booksmart fan. So hurrah. Is it a Marvel movie or is it a Sony it's Spider-Verse a Sony movie? It's a Sony Spider-Verse movie. So it's kind of, yeah, so it's, it's not, MC, it's, it's the MCU adjacent stuff, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. From the studio list to Nick to the studio that brought you Spider-Man. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she tweeted uh, a single spider emoji last yeah. night. So that's, that's all but confirms that it's Spider-Woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it. Unless it's, yeah, some sort of biology-based film and it's literally just about spiders. She's doing a spider documentary. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's exciting. Well, there, I mean, there are obviously various spider women, but the speculation seems to be that this is specifically spider woman and not, for example, I, I, spider Gwen. Ghost spider, spider Gwen, one of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. What about the Madame Web uh, movie that they were touting a couple of months ago? Because obviously, you know, they're just I guess that's still out there. flicking through Spider-Man back issues and going, what about this character? That, could that sustain a movie? Not really. Fuck it, we're doing it anyway. But I'm excited about Olivia Wilde. She's fantastic. Booksmart was great. Mm -hmm. So we shall keep an eye on this one. And we shall also keep an eye on... The DC Fandom event, which is this weekend and has been extended to two days because they have so much content. And this is the big all-in online cavalcade or cavilcade hey, uh, nice. of, thank you, uh, of news and previews and clips from all the forthcoming DC stuff, TV, movies, comics, I believe as well, video games. It's all going to be splurged on the internet. So obviously we've recorded before that happened. So if there's some incredible, incredible earth-shattering news that breaks from that, we'll discuss it on next week's show. We're also going to keep an eye, of course, on the news that there's going to be a Planes, Trains and Automobiles remake starring mm. Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Now, Twitter was up in arms about this the other day. I don't really see the problem here. Wasn't the problem that it makes absolutely no sense in 2020 and you'd have to do it as a kind of a period piece? Because in the world of, you know, Uber and whatnot, and it doesn't work. There are still storms and such, aren't there? Mm. <laughs> there are places that don't have Uber. So, you know, they get stranded in the middle of nowhere. It's going to be tough to get an Uber to come. For example, if they follow the template of the, of the original movie, they get stranded in the back end of nowhere. So no Uber is going to come and drive 300 miles to pick you up. Mm. Yeah, they get a lift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, it's not that many years ago. I was about to fly home for Christmas. They cancelled my flights while I was on my way to the airport. I had to end up flying to Glasgow, getting a train to Stranraer and the ferry to Northern Ireland. 
um, which took 24 hours through the snow. Like, it can ha- still happen, I think. Yeah. Yes, but I don't have a problem with this in terms of, you know, the, the, the casting. The casting's great. Casting's great, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that, look, the outrage probably came from the fact that the original is not just a beloved comedy, it's, it's a really, really great comedy. And I think that's always, you know, the wariness that people have. Like, what we should really be doing is remaking average films to try and make them better, rather than films mm-hmm. that are already great. But yeah, at the same time, you know, the make and I guess the name recognition isn't there for the average films, maybe. So here's where mm-hmm. we are. But yeah, you're right. They could totally do a good job with with this kind of setup. Also, I think these are quite different actors. And I think it's a really strong premise, that original film. You know, it's really simple. Mm. It's just a sort of, you know, odd couple sort of thing. That like applied to completely different senses of comedy, which Will Smith and Kevin Hart have. You could you could have a completely different film. I think it could mm-hmm. be adapted in a really interesting way yeah i hope it's not a pg-13 because one of the great scenes is that scene where steve martin goes up to the car rental lady and just unloads a load of f-bombs and whilst i don't think they should remake that scene completely i would hope that this has a bit of an edge and a bit of bite to it in a way that because that scene kind of comes out of nowhere it's been Mm -hmm. quite a cuddly comedy up to that point then you know steve martin's effing and blinding with the best of them and I would hope that they can maybe have something with a similar kind of edge uh, also. This was a week of good trailers as well, though. Uh, so this was the week, um, I don't think we discussed this in the podcast at all, but the Judas and the Black Messiah trailer, oh, which yeah. came out, I think, either last week or the week before, and it was absolutely incredible. And it's one of the best trailers I've seen in a long, long time. And looks very, very much like Daniel Kaluuya is, you know, already going to be nominated for an Oscar just for the trailer alone. But this was great. Yeah. Yeah, that looked fantastic, um, and uh, and a really interesting look at that kind of slice of history because you know we know from like Gene Seberg's life story that the the FBI freaked out at the Black Panthers to a degree that is was out of all proportion, and uh, and I think this will be a, a really you know interesting look sort of inside what happened as a result. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I can't wait to see it. it. Looks fantastic. Daniel Kaluuya has the best track record of picking projects my god yeah and it's really we've got a piece in the magazine about this and the new issue coming out and it's it's really interesting that it's coming out at a time like now this and films like trial of the chicago seven is this sort of you know historic protests um at a time when it's sort of reflecting the current protests of black lives matter that's happening i think it's going to be a really interesting one to watch and um it's a crazy real life story the guy was 21 uh, when he was killed by the FBI, Fred Hampton. Yeah. So Fred Hampton, who was the what the leader of the Black Panthers, and I think he was yeah, yeah. leader of the Rainbow yeah. Coalition. Yeah. And yeah. he and it's about his assassination. And Lakeith Sanfield looks terrific in it as well. Jesse Plemons is also in the movie. It looks absolutely great. Um, and another trailer that came out this week is Death on the Nile, in which Kenneth Branagh and his mighty Tash return as Hercule Poirot to solve a crime on a boat. Could be murder mystery part two. I'm all for it. <laughs> Look, it, it, it should be quite a lot of fun. I mean, the murder on the Orange Express was, was kind of a giggle in the end, even though his moustache is objectively ridiculous. But you get that much star power in one space and you're going to have something that's probably worth watching. Like, it's, it's you know, it's going to be at least entertaining with that many good people in it. But... You know, just seeing French and Saunders as the sort of, mm. you know, little old maids, I think is is brilliant. <laughs> and um, 
The trailer certainly emphasises that, in case anybody didn't know, that Gal Gadot is a really beautiful woman. I don't know if you've missed this, ha, but I have she's missed it. super, super beautiful. Um, so the, the trailer kind of plays that sort of stuff up as well. And, and uh, yeah, it just looks very sumptuous. Yes. The thing is, so it's murder on the Orient Express and it's death on the Nile, which implies it may just be natural causes. So this could be a massive anticlimax. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad always had a theory that it was actually, you know, Poirot and Miss Marple doing the killing um, <laughs> and that that's how they get murders wherever they go. So, you know. Almost certainly true. That trailer also has a blink and you miss it shot of Russell Brand looking very yeah. un-Russell Brand-like, which I, th- I very much enjoyed. He looked well, like... Well, he didn't have a t-shirt ripped open to basically reveal his nips yeah, with, basically. A, he, with a radio mic pinned to his lapel. He wasn't using 10 words when one would do. Yes. He look, yeah, he looked like a sort of, uh, I don't know, hipster accountant or something. He was wearing full suits and tie. It was very strange. And he had short hair. And uh, yeah, he wasn't saying anything at all. Which Good is Lord. brilliant. Um, <laughs> so looking forward to that. Yes. So it's uh, Gal Gadot. It's Army Hammer. It's Letitia Wright. It's Kenneth Branagh. It's French and Saunders, which just blew my mind. Like, how have they not been in a movie together before? It's crazy. Well, they did voices together for Coraline. I mean, come on. Come on. I'm just saying. I'm just, you know, I'm putting it out there. Like, I'm just giving you the info, you know. Only seeing them on a boat reminded me of their spoof of Titanic, and I hope it's not. <laughs> I hope it's not that. Directed by Edgar Wright. Directed by Edgar Wright. It's all coming half circle. Yeah. Also in it is uh, obviously James's favourite, Rose Leslie, um, and uh, Emma Mackey seems to have a fairly big role. Yes, from Sex Education. Just a couple of last real, really quick bits in dispatches. Chad Stahelski is going mm. to direct a film called Arcana or Arcana, uh, in which there is real world magic and uh, sounds horribly like bright but I hope it's much better than that I'm sure it will be with Chad Stahelski at the helm I only hope that he does it after John Wick chapters 4 and 5 because I don't want to see anyone else directing a John Wick movie quite frankly um, yeah I, I, I'm, I'm up for him doing fantasy action I'm, I'm not up for him missing John Wick correct yeah, do not do that nobody misses John Wick no, um indeed. Well, that's not true. Uh, we also have Daniel Day Kim and Randall Park have signed on to star in an untitled heist movie for Amazon Studios, which will be uh, an Asian-American heist movie. Uh, we should also quickly mention that Amanda Stenberg has signed up to join the the adaptation of Dear Evan Hansen, which is which is shaping up really well. So Ben St- Ben Platt, who starred in it on stage, you may know him from Pitch Black, uh, Pitch Perfect, rather, uh, Black, is wow. uh, is leading it. Uh, and then Booksmart's Caitlin De- Dever is already on board. But I think uh, Stenberg's a really good addition to that cast, and I'm looking forward to it. Fantastic! I do not know that at all. It's the it's the it's the musical that won the Tony the year after Hamilton. Yeah, I know I know what it is. I just haven't I don't know the musical at all. I, all haven't, right, yeah. I haven't heard it before. But you know me and my weirdness. Um, right, that was exciting. That was a movie news section, uh, and it's time now for our second guest this week. And Jay Baruchel is perhaps best known as an actor. You'll know him, of course, as the voice of Hiccup in the How to Train Your Dragon franchise. And of course, he's been in all sorts of comedies over the years. The likes have knocked up and this is the end. But now he is turning his hand to directing. Uh, His second movie as director is out this week on Shudder. And it is called Random Acts of Violence. And it is a slasher movie that aims to deconstruct the slasher movie genre. And is very bloody whilst it does so as well. Uh, I caught up with him last week on Squadcast. He is an animated gentleman and this was a lot of fun. So do please enjoy. 
Delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the star, co-writer, director, I'm not sure if I've missed anything out of Random Acts of Finance, Mr. Jay Baruchel. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, and it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Did I miss anything out? Uh, is there any, any any other jobs you performed on this movie? Uh, no, I, I I think you got it. You got all the hats I wore. <laughs> it's a lot of hats. Three yeah, different hats. It was. Uh, well, it's a small movie, man. It's like, you know, when you start like a, if you open a Subway franchise, like that first year, you're probably making sandwiches too, you know, just like letting the bucks roll in. So you got to, in the interest of efficiency, sometimes you have to do a bunch of shit. <laughs> Good point. Um, I have to say, though, I mean, it's it's astonishing to me. I read that you guys shot this in about 19, 20 days, breakneck speed. Now, I know that you have been, you know, you've been planning this movie. It had been inside your head for years. But even so, that that time frame, that's, I mean, wow. And this movie is incredibly stylish, really, really well lit, really well shot. How the hell did you manage it in such a, in such a short space I, of time? I, thank you for saying so. I appreciate that. No, because I, I think it's quite a Herculean effort we pulled off. <laughs> um, yeah, we just we planned the hell out of it. Is is the best way to to explain? Because it was like this movie's got a lot of moving parts. You know, it's 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 we got car gags and gun gags and and fire mm-hmm. stuff and knife stuff and you know a whole bunch of stuff that like is all kind of they're all logistical nightmares and you know and and we also wanted the thing to like yeah look cool and and be a good movie and so so my my cinematographer kareem hussein and i we just we planned it as best we could we we got through six drafts of our shot list before prep was done and we just knew the thing inside and out and we also just went into it knowing a small Canadian movie, inevitably something won't be there on the day. There's going to be some aspect of our plan that's not going to work. So let's not make shit contingent on certain <laughs> kind of weather and shit, you know, and, and just yeah. make sure that we can be kind of um, agile as well. And I think you can only kind of be agile if you're super planned. Talk, talk me through your first day. What was your first shot? Oh gosh! Uh, yeah, our first day was the scene at a, a comic store called Mangopolis, where we're doing like a signing, you know, autograph signing, and I think we started with because it's kind of really two scenes that we kind of morphed into one, but because there, there's like us signing, and then there's our conversation behind the scenes, and I and I and I think we started with the conversation, and um, ah, it was just like. I was like, do we really have to? Does day one have to be a day where I'm acting? Like, can can I <laughs> can I just sort of like get my sea legs a bit before I have to do that? Um, but no, it's like that's just how it goes sometimes. And like, uh, I it, it, I need to stress that like I didn't like make this movie so that I could act again in of something. Course. I, I, I yeah. acted in it because it helped get her going. Cause for, for whatever reason, my name and my face still has like a bit of currency, I guess in film finance. And it like helped get us over a hump. And so I had to basically is what I say. <laughs> and there's like shots in the movie where like, if you're watching the movie, you're probably just like, Oh, there's a guy who's just thinking about stuff <laughs> or listening. But like, I know that I'm staring down because I'm looking at the mini monitor at my feet to make sure that the scene looks The shot looks okay. So it was like, and then I had to go through the, 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 
utter hell of editing scenes that I'm in and of like having to like my poor editor, Andrew suffer through like, Hey, so can we just find 10 seconds where my mouth is closed or do I, do you think I look cooler in that piece or there? Like <laughs> it's so, it's so lame. It's so lame anyway. So, yeah. and then having to be like, yeah, I think I was good in that take. Let's use that one. Like I hate it, man. I, I fucking hate it. <laughs> well, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so sorry that I triggered you. That memories for you. <laughs> it's, it's just like, there are people out there. I think that, for 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 whom directing is like an extension of their acting and they they you know i am not that person like i i i would never hire me there are so many better actors than me that i would rather put in my movie you're selling yourself short sir you're selling yourself well, short you. but uh, <laughs> thank you thank you but i have to say as well it is interesting because i i i did have a feeling because of the breakneck pace of the movie, I was like, Jay is in this because your your name helps you get it sold. It uh, it's one of those things. And then I had, yeah. I, I just, I imagined those meetings where you're going in to try and sell this movie and they go, oh, it's the How to Train Your Dragon guy. You go, yes. And what's your movie? It's a ra- random act of violence. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, did their actually, smiles fade? Well, what was even trickier was that because this thing has been going for we've been trying to get her going for the better part of a decade so what was even trickier was like in the kind of uh fallout fallout's a negative word i don't know what the good word whatever the nice version of fallout is but in everything that came after this is the end there was like a whole bunch of people clamoring to kind of get their piece of it and so There were people in California that were like, oh, one of the This Is The End people has a horror thing. Oh, that's like a horror thing. Oh, so there's another we that's our horror comedy. And like I was trying to be as I trying to be as like literal and specific as I could that like this isn't like Shaun of the Dead or something. Like this this mm. is this is like, you know, I, I'm kinda trying to suck the fun out of all of our kills and make it awful. Like I, I'm trying to go hard, you know, and, and then it's like, you're in this weird position because like I said, small movies are all miracles. The, the, the shittiest small movie you've ever seen is somebody's baby that they had to fight through and fight tooth and nail to get going. Right. And, and, and in an effort to do that, when you love something so deeply that you'd mortgage your house to get it made, Mm. um, you you are willing and have to be willing to sort of tailor your vision a bit or compromise because if someone has resources finally and they and they see something in your script you you got to pay attention to it so you're like okay yeah maybe it could be that instead of this yeah i guess it could be that right but there are certain one of the, there are certain kind of compromises that are a bridge too far and would negate the entire purpose of even making the thing mm-hmm. and when you so here's the tricky part is when you've got someone and you can tell already that they don't see the same movie, <laughs> that they've read your thing and be and and have gotten a completely different thing out of it. And they say things to you like, but it's a comedy, right? Like your killer's name is Slasher Man. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, and then you're like, but this is, this is, they've got money. So can I, can I play a sort of artistic three card Monty with them? Can I do? Am I able to just you know satiate their notes and bullshit and and make them think I'm addressing them? 
while just yeah. making the movie that I want to make? Can I actually pull that off? Like, cause then you, you read about Michael Cimino and, and, and taking all the canisters, all the rushes with them from deer hunter and keeping them in his car. And, you know, and you're like, yeah, maybe I could do that. And then you're like, no, it would probably just be better to find someone who wants to make the fucking movie that I want to make, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, and then, and then you have to, and then that's the heartbreaker of like, I've, I've waited and I've waited. So I just keep waiting. Well, I'd rather keep waiting than make those, than, than, than make a, a kind mm. of shittier version of the thing I want to make. You mentioned there, it was almost a throwaway comment. Did, did you mortgage your house for this? Is this something that you, you did? Have you gone was, all in on this? I, <laughs> I was prepared to. Um, I, was, I was about to. I didn't have to, thank God. Um, but I, um, <laughs> but there are other, there, there are other, uh, ways to spend your money. <laughs> so I'll just, I, 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 yeah. Um, both, both flicks I've directed. I, I, uh, I, I was like, I did the thing. I did what had to be done if it had to be done. And that, and, and, uh, and, and a movie like this in particular will never happen unless there's at least one person mm -hmm. involved who's willing to do that. And, and so, so yeah. So I, I say what you will about my movies. Like I fucking believed in them when I made them. Absolutely. It's interesting. I threw this, uh, I just threw this little thing on today, but when I put this t-shirt on, uh, I realized, you know, it was in the, the, the top of my drawer and I realized, I don't know if you can see it, but it's, uh, the Jason's machete, uh, hockey mask from the Friday the 13th oh, movies, shit, but with the names, with the names of his victims. And oh, I put crap. this on and then I thought, I thought, hang on, this is completely the wrong t-shirt because <laughs> your movie <laughs> is absolutely not about that. The Friday the 13th movies and the slasher films of the 1980s became in a strange way about the glorification of violence and the glorification of the, the quote unquote bad guys who became the, the anti-heroes almost of the franchises. And here you're talking about something else in random acts of violence. You're talking about complicity in violence. You're talking about, um, you're talking about this, the, the role and responsibility of the artist in portraying violence as well. So you're asking questions that, and as much as I love slasher films from the 1980s, never popped into their heads for even a millisecond. Oh, thank you, man. I'm happy to hear you say that. Wait, so that that's a great shirt for, for this purpose because like, I wouldn't recognize a single name on there. There, there's Precisely. not a name on there that I would be like, oh, there's, remember fucking Kenny? Like, no, like I, 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 you know, and, and I was forced with, I was forced to ask myself, like, what is my experience as an audience member then? Because if I can't name any of the people being hunted and or killed by Jason or Freddie or Michael Myers or whomever, but I can name all of them, then I can't in good conscience say that any of their victims or their prey are the heroes of those movies. That's mm -hmm. not who those movies are about. It's about the monster, the killer. And if it's about the killer, then it is north or south of vicarious sadism. And 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 I was mm -hmm. like and it and when I unpacked that in myself, I was like, well, I wasn't thrilled, number one. And, and but I you know, but it also seemed to kind of correlate, there seemed to be a correlation between that and the fact that I could name Zodiac and John Wayne Gacy and uh, uh, Fred West and uh, Paul Bernardo, Clifford Olson, Jack the Ripper. I can name all of these famous killers and I can even name a list off a bunch of their stats 
like they're fucking hockey players, but I can't name any of the people that they fucking took from this world. And, 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 and there seems to be a correlation between those two things. And then I tried to figure out why. So to, and to, why and what is the effect? What's the totality of that in me? Um, if, if, if I, you know, so A, there's the recurrent trope, the recurring, recurring tarot card of woman at female as victim throughout mm. all, throughout ever all the uh, newspapers, the news, music videos, movies, video games, books. It came up time and time again. And I was like, hard pressed to see how, how that couldn't affect me and not in ways that I can always put my finger on, but like we are, we are products of what we put into ourselves. So if I eat like shit for a long time, it's going to make me sick. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that this is shit. That's the other thing. And I have to be careful because it's just about tempering fascination with humanity. I think Mm -hmm. that's, and and that that's the big thing. Cause I think that like when we, when we pay attention to, the sort of largesse of what a killer did, as opposed to the experience of uh, the experience of suffering that that's, that's an easy thing. And that's a deeply male thing. And what I mean by that is it's like, what do they show on sports highlights? It's the, the sweetest spinning back heel that landed flush on a jaw. It's, it's the open ice hit. It's the crazy fucking, it's the crazy um, fucking, set piece it whatever but it's it's a it's an incredible feat uh of humanity and why it's incredible because none of us can see ourselves doing it and so you're astounded by it and i would argue that that's the same shit as being like holy fuck on the schoolyard buddy did a backflip off the monkey bars that's fucking crazy this guy killed seven people that's fucking crazy it's all this kind of deeply facile and, and male very male uh, perspective and value system. I think it's a much more female one to try to to try to 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 connect and understand what it is to go through something, as opposed to paying attention to the scale of the thing that happened. And mm-hmm. um, and so all of these things just kind of started germinating in me, and I was like, kind of thought that I, at the very least. I should try to be a bit more, uh, I hate word, I hate this word, but a bit more analytical about the stuff I was consuming, you know, mm. because I, the, the process that I take to the grocery store, I'll buy something. I look at the fucking ingredients on the back every time, regardless. And I'm a junk food fucking, like, I, I eat like a child and like, I'll read, I'll see how much fucking junk is in there and I'll still buy it. But I still want to mm-hmm. know. I'd rather know what's in there. And, and I, and I found that I was watching movies with reckless abandon and I, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. All right, go about my day. And I was like, I I need to just kind of stop a sec and just try to name everything I'm putting in me at the very least. Jay, I've got to let you go in a second, but um, we had Seth Rogan on the podcast last week and um, I asked Seth this question. I'm going to ask you the same thing. What was the last film you saw in the cinema when was the last time you got out um to the the pictures yeah well last time i saw a movie in the cinema actually two weeks ago we showed random acts at a drive-in and i have never been to a drive-in before that (laughs) night and so my first drive-in experience 
was my own movie, which is fucking sweet, and that'll never happen again. Um, <laughs> but it was also it dovetailed with like everyone else's first time going out and about so it was like kind of even more magical um and that was really really cool and it was like uh it was neat and it was neat because like i think i've been led to believe the slasher film at a drive-in is like a dyed in the wool north american trope that like i had never taken part in because i was a fucking we were city people and we didn't have a car so those are all <laughs> in the fucking boonies so you know but but it was a cool thing man it was super super cool but before that i think the last movie i saw in the theater i hate to say it uh was uh, once upon a time in hollywood and uh i am uh i am not a fan of that film <laughs> I, I, I i i have a i have a lot to say but i also almost got into a fist fight in the theater so uh it was a bad night at the movies i i i just shat the bed in every way i first like I got there early, so I was buying tickets for everyone, and I bought fucking four tickets, and then realized that they were for the late show, and and I was like, fuck, and I'm like, I hate dealing with people and talking to people, and I'm really, really shy, so this would force me to have to go to the cashier and be like i need uh -huh. a refund or whatever so i just bought four more tickets so i just wasted i bought eight fucking tickets for for a show nobody went to then i went and sat in this fucking movie next to three drunk arseholes one who all on their fucking phones all on their phones showing each other their twitters and their instagrams and all this fucking bullshit so i told them to shut up and buddy boy got a bunch of liquid courage and I was prepared to fucking knock them out. But I was just going to, I had spent at this point $80 for fuck's sakes. But then like, and yeah, and I had, and I just need to say that like one of my dad's heroes was Bruce Lee. Uh -huh. I, I, I was raised very much. And I still am a devout acolyte of the Lee family. I, I, I like Bruce Lee means everything to me. Uh, the Crow is one of my most one of the movies that mo is the most important to me in the world. So that whole family is of great, great, great importance to me. I was so so utterly annoyed uh, and grossed out um, by their depiction of Bruce Lee. So did you not go back to the cinema as a result of that? Did that just put you off forever? <laughs> is that? It didn't help. I, I and I and I and I've been, like the cinemas have been like fucking doing my head in for a while because it's like now it costs twenty bucks per ticket. Right. And and I'm not it's not just that when I was a kid, it was very, very, but when I was a kid, that five dollars, that's the fucking that was the quality of experience I got. Like it's a five dollar experience. And yeah. and what I'm saying is the the they've increased the price. The experience <laughs> has not increased commensurate with the fucking price at all, <laughs> at all, man. Ask yeah. any cinematographer. They, they, they go in to see movies in the cinema now. You're, you will spend, you will, you will painstakingly go through frame by frame of your movie to get it look a certain way. And it doesn't fucking matter because it'll be too dark at the cinema yeah. because they want uh, the bulb to last. Out of focus. Yeah. Out they don't of focus care. and dark because they, they want to, yeah, they don't care. Anyway. And then they send in three drunk arseholes just to fuck with you. And that, that. Uh, you know what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. man? Seriously, it's a fucking, it's a big ask sometimes. 
Jay, I know, I know you're not saying this because you're not a single guy, but this seems to me like the perfect way to say that uh, Random Acts of Violence is on Shutter, so you don't have to go to a cinema. You can just enjoy it in your own home with drunken arseholes that you know and love. It's all good. Yes, with your own drunken arseholes. And then you can pause it, and you can get into, and you can you can pay, pay attention to their fucking Instagram. You can get your willies out, and you can go back and focus on the fucking movie. <laughs> There's your poster quote. Uh, this man, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks so Cheers. much for talking. Talk to us. Thank you for having me. Lovely to meet you. Okay, so that was Jay Baruchel, and we'll be talking about random acts of violence later in the show because right now it is time to talk about movie reviews, and we're going to start with a film that you could see in the actual cinema. It opens on Wednesday, in theory, August twenty sixth, and it is, of course, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Uh, John, I don't know if you want to. Earplugs for this one. We're not going to the spoilers. We're There'll not going to go to spoilers. spoilers. No spoilers for that. We will be doing a spoiler special uh, for this down the line. Uh, we're going to try and tiptoe around this one. Jimbo, begin the tiptoeing. Yeah, this <laughs> this is a difficult film to talk about, and I think the simplest thing here is maybe to stick to the synopsis that's been floating around the internet for a long time, which is simply an operative brackets uh, John David Washington. Of the organization known as Tenet you didn't is tasked with preventing. I've missed yeah, well, in Christopher Nolan films you don't need to punch it properly. Um, <laughs> yes. So this is Christopher Nolan's palindromic return to the big screen. This has been delayed endlessly and should have been out much earlier this year. And I feared, much like the sort of subject matter of this film, which is a little bit sort of time bending, we would never actually get to see it. However, we finally have, and it's an interesting one. I really, really, really like this film. I think it is possibly Christopher Nolan's least accessible film to date, which is kind of saying something. It took him more than five years to write the screenplay for this. Uh, and I think he's been noodling around the ideas of this for about 10. And I, you kind of see that on screen a little bit. Like, it doesn't go out of its way to make following the plot easy. That's not to say it's impossible. And I do firmly believe, although people have argued with me this part, I do firmly believe it does make sense. And I, I think, I think I understand it vaguely, or at least bits of it. Some of it. I understand some of it. What I take away from this at the end of it is it's R. Pat, it's John David Watson. They're both brilliant. Elizabeth Debicki is very, very good as well. Kenneth Branagh is Russian. That's all I'm going to say about him. And things go backwards in time. There are reverse bullets. It's kind of a Bondian thriller and there is literally nothing about the plot I really feel I can reveal but I will say it starts with a wonderful um, sort of concert opera sequence big action set piece uh, you've, you've seen some of the other set pieces in the trailer including there's a car chase in there as well <laughs> this is the most bare bones synopsis it has a car chase there's a bit in an opera there are people in it and bullets that go backwards I think it's a really really well put together film it has the same resonance for me that I think Inception had where Inception was a film where when I watched it I was like oh my god I I'm never going to write a screenplay because I didn't write this screenplay because this is such a smart and fascinating and mind-bending film that it just I was in awe of it from start to finish. Now this doesn't quite reach those giddy heights for me. Like this is not on a level with Inception for me. But it's that same sense that he's taken a quite simple idea and filtered it through the Nolanator and turned it into this ridiculously convoluted brain spinning concept that you kind of follow from a distance and from find yourself distance. googling bits of it afterwards yes indeed um but yeah i i, I think it's I, I mean i never had any doubt i think that this would be a good film but i i really really enjoyed this perhaps more than some of the others that i saw it with isn't that right christopher 
but uh, but it's it's good. It's not top tier Nolan. I don't think it's on a level with uh, with the Prestige and with Inception. But uh, I think it's I think it's I think it's I think it's a good shout. And I, I look forward to the spoiler special of this, which I have no doubt will involve many of us screaming at each other and presumably talking <laughs> backwards. Yeah, I really can't wait for the spoiler special in this one. But it's, you know what I mean? Like, so this is a film like I could certainly give a synopsis of the plot, but I feel like this is a film you should absolutely go into knowing as little as Nolan wants you to know about it. I yeah. think it benefits from yeah. that. I mean, you come out of the film knowing as little as Nolan wants you to know about the film, so... <laughs> I think I think there's quite a lot to be said for cultivating a certain air of of zen acceptance going into this film. Like like certainly pay yeah. attention when people are giving exposition. Um but don't worry too much if none of it makes sense. Like just try to be really calm about it because that was sort of what I tried to do during the film yeah. and and therefore I had more fun than I've had in almost any other Nolan film. See, I, you surprised me because I I, I, I came out of this and I went, Helen's going to hate that. I said, she's going to hate you that. Know, you know, I've, we've texted about this. You know there are issues that I have with this. Yeah. Um, and some of those I will definitely get into in the spoiler special. But the, the basic kind of run of it, I had fun with. And, and fun mm. is not something I associate with Nolan because I think he takes himself so freaking seriously. And I think the great thing here is that you have John David Washington, who is this insane charisma machine. I mean, he yeah. is extraordinary here. He has the confidence is just like crystallizing off him. It's amazing. But then you also have, and I think this is the big thing for me with the fun, you also have the chaotic energy of Robert Pattinson. Um, <laughs> who Christopher Nolan, like he seems to pick somebody a lot of the time to dress like him. You know, Pattinson drew the short straw this time. He gets to dress like Christopher Nolan and he gets the That's haircut and everything. Short straw. Chris Nolan he dresses very well. I mean, dressing, okay, but the hair, hair, I don't know, and the scarves all the time. Anyway, you can't not make Robert Pattinson chaotic, even with that. Like the hair is always like uh, 16 different angles and he, he just has this air of not quite taking anything seriously and it's what this film needed and I I really really love that the the more serious bits of the plot many of which involve Elizabeth Debicki who is great in herself um I didn't love as much but but those guys I could just watch them do pretty much anything all day mm. Mm. you're right about just running with it there's a line in the film at the beginning Clemence Posey says to, to Washington she says don't try to understand it just feel it and I think that's kind of the moral of this film yeah. in fact a number of characters throughout this film make points to, oh if you're not following it don't worry oh you're not thinking through it don't worry about it yeah Ign- what is it ignorance is our ignorance is our best defence or something <laughs> that's right you're ignorance like- is our ammunition or something it's like what <laughs> ignorance was absolutely my ammunition it's not necessary I think to follow every single beat of this uh, and, I, and I think you're right and, and he does there are certain points where you're de- it's designed to baffle you because mm-hmm. the revelation of what's going on follows shortly after the scene so you're supposed to not understand it upon first viewing, which is kind of the nature of the film's chronology. I haven't seen this film twice yet, and I feel like I need to see it mm-hmm. at least one more time to understand... In reverse. Well, anything that happens in the film, pretty much. I am very, very stupid that we have to take that into account uh, beforehand, <laughs> of course. But it feels to me, I wonder whether this is going to antagonise audiences. Mm. Because they may there may be a certain... And, f- and maybe even a fairly sizable portion of the audience of this movie that will feel stupid after seeing <laughs> this film. And that they will feel that they're going to see it a second time, not because they want to, not because they were wowed by it, not because they're going back to revisit it and bathe in the world again, but because they just didn't understand it. As a piece of filmmaking, it is 
exemplary. There's no question about that. You know, we're talking here, Chris Nolan is one of the, I say, probably the five best directors in the world in terms of marshalling a film of this scale and a film of this scope. And, you know, some of the set pieces in this are absolutely mind, mind boggling. But for me, it's not, and even though there is fun, there are actual jokes, as Helen said. And here, this movie does have a little sense of its own absurdity, but I just got, I got too lost in what was going on and the complexity of it all to, to really appreciate it. It does feel like a lot of the plot is side plot. And, and it, it, you know, it feels like they're going off on side missions, which may or may not become important, actually. Also interesting that Nolan does maybe in this film more than some of his others, he has a tendency to take kind of spectacular, complicated concepts and almost deliberately make them mundane, where he does he strips down the spectacle to make it quite functional. And perhaps mm. that's so it doesn't take the focus away from the, you know, the the frankly cars driving backwards and whatever else we've seen in the trailer. Do you know what I mean? So, so it doesn't distract people from that. Like if you take, for example, the car chase on this, it's quite a stripped down basic car chase. It's not particularly ambitious or spectacle driven, but because it has this chronology element to it, I wonder if he's, he's aiming for clarity there. But I think that's very much a, a, a sort of a Nolan thing yeah. to do. But Inception's a, is the film that obviously is easiest to compare it to because mm. Inception mm. does a similar thing, which it has a very, very high concept sci-fi hook. Um, and a lot of the exposition is handed to you. Even in the film's third act, we're still being bombarded with with exposition. I haven't re- recently revisited the movie, uh, only for the second time. Um, but you know, you, you get handed an awful lot of stuff to deal with in the, in the third act. Um, and I just I felt it was easier to deal with it in Inception. There's there's things that happen here that I just didn't grasp, and I need to go back and see it again. Facetiousness aside, I do think you are right in that. And it's and I'm not even sure it's about. It's this is not like oh we're saying oh audiences are all stupid. I think this is a film that doesn't help you it, it makes you work very very hard to follow it and i do think it's it's not the most accessible proposition i think people are going to struggle with it an awful lot i'll be honest i sat through most of it going oh so this is nonsense okay fine and then i just had quite a nice time <laughs> and and then thinking back i'm not sure it is entirely nonsense although there's a few things i haven't reconciled yet but you know for your own peace of mind that could be a helpful co- coping strategy as well just go mm. oh right so this makes no fucking sense great let's have fun and watch car chase we get this one four stars. So four stars then for Tenet. Uh, and if you are of a mind to go out and see this thing, then do try and see it on the biggest screen possible because a lot of it was shot. In fact, all of it, I think, with IMAX cameras. Yeah, shot for IMAX. And, and on the IMAX screen, IMAX screen, it looks absolutely incredible, I have to say. Something that wasn't shot for IMAX is Random Acts of Violence, the film I interviewed Jay Baruchel about. And uh, John, this is going to be on Shudder. Is this one purely for the horror nerds? No, no, I think there's something for non-horror nerds as well. I think, I think it is. Uh, I th- it feels like something that's made with horror nerds in mind. It is a very sort of it's one of those films that's quite knowing and a little bit self-referential. So it's a kind of slasher horror, and the idea is so Jesse Williams plays uh, this guy called Todd, who's a comic book writer. He made his name uh, with a comic book called Slasher Man. Um, <laughs> And uh, Jay Baruchel plays his his publisher and also directs. And they go on uh, on a press store to uh, for their final issue, and they visit the town where Slasher Man wreaked havoc many years earlier. And um, as they're on this tour, uh, a series of murders, real life murders, happen that are eerily close to the uh, murders in the comics. And then so it becomes a sort of 
a, a slasher man real life and real art and real life tend to sort of merge a little bit so mm-hmm. it, it, it's trying to say i guess things about violence in media violence in movies violence in comic books it's sort of trying to have a meta conversation about what that means i'm not sure that the the sort of lessons that it's trying to impart or at least talk about uh, are done with quite as much skill or as nuance as perhaps they needed. I felt like um, it slightly tries to have its cake and, and eat it too and, and slash it too because it's sort of, there's it, it felt like there was a bit of um, hand-wringing over violence, but also <laughs> the film is really bloody violent like there is especially some of the the early kills are just oh they're grim they're really grim um in in an entertaining way in a sort of horror slashy way i disagree with that i don't think they i don't think they are i think they're kind of they're they're much more grisly and much more realistic than you would get in a friday the 13th or a Mm. or halloween where you are meant to kind of celebrate the kills um but uh but here i you know i think the first the first few kills is just oh that's what being stabbed 17 times by mm. a frenzied man with a huge butcher knife that's what it would feel like oh god okay that's not good and in, in a way that kind of reminded me of wolf creek before wolf creek you know became oh, kind of meta itself just in terms of how it treats the the violence of, of the thing but I, I you know i think that you know barishel has laudable goals here and even if he doesn't always hit the goals i think it's 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 interesting at least that you know you you get so many slasher films and listen i'm a huge fan of of horror and slasher movies but not very many of them stop to ask about the impact of the violence or audience complicity and which is interesting you know given that it's a genre in which you know i mentioned friday the 13th you know you're watching those and you're you literally are meant to go hey when jason kills someone in a really inventive way Mm. Uh, and this has this has I think it's the opposite of that. I I I don't know. I I I mean, they are incredibly gruesome and explicit. Mm. Some of the those stabbings, but I almost think that in itself becomes a bit of a you know. It's like how much can you take? It's it's there's a sort of um, I don't know. It still feels like it's couched within genre uh, in a way that that I I don't know that he, he quite threads the needle for me if you know what i mean but I, but i mean it's it's a really good looking film for a, such a low budget thing it's got style to burn it's got a real like scrappy punk feel to it it's got this really like lurid color palette it feels very mm-hmm. saturated and neon it's kind of like an italian horror from the 80s or something it's got a really synthy score there's some animated sequences i mean it looks cool it's a really mm-hmm. impressive little piece of work um I, I think, and the opening credits are really cool as well. It's got this mm. really cool, like, Enter the Void style credits. But yeah, I, I, I think I, there's a lot about it I liked. Um, I, I just, it didn't quite hit the mark for me in terms of what it was trying to say, I would say. So we gave this one three stars. It should be an official Empire review up by the time you listen to this. But yes, indeed, you can find this on Shudder. Uh, Shudder for random acts of violence and speaking of random acts of violence it's time to go over to disney plus <laughs> and talk about the one and only ivan in that adorable gorilla and his adorable friends and adorable brian cranston that's so adorable yeah i guess um <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah so uh this is uh based on a children's novel by k.a applegate um which is you know apparently taught in schools it's a it's a really successful book 
Um, it's directed by Thea Sharrock, who did You Before Me Before You, not You Before Me. Um, <laughs> and um, and it has a, an incredible cast. So, you know, uh, you have uh, Brian Cranston there as the owner of a sort of mall circus, like it's a circus in a shopping centre. So his character, Mac, has own, owns all these animals, seems to care about them, but does, you know, basically keep them in cages. It's based, unbelievably, on a true story about a mall Zoo. Paul Blart, Mall Gorilla. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. Uh, and a gorilla who lived there. But the, the real stars are, are mostly in the voice cast here. Um, so Sam Rockwell voices uh, Ivan, the, the titular Ivan, Silverback Gorilla, who's the kind of star of the show, the big name attraction. Angelina Jolie is uh, an African elephant called Stella. Danny DeVito is a stray dog who just keeps breaking in and hanging out with them. Helen Mirren is a poodle, which just doesn't seem right somehow. I, I just feel like that's disrespectful. And Brooklyn right, Prince... A high-class poodle. A high, oh, of course, a high-class poodle. I mean, I feel like that goes without saying, Chris. But, you know, mm. but, um, and you have, you know, um, Chaka Khan in there as well. Mike White, who also wrote, um, is, is a seal. Philippa Sue is a parrot, which seems... Frankly, again, disrespectful of someone who was in Hamilton, but there you go. Um, and uh, Brooklyn Prince from the Florida Project um, comes in as a baby elephant who is actually super duper cute and kind of takes over the lead of the show from 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 Ivan. But it's Ivan's story because he's kind of forced to come out of his shell a bit by this by this new baby elephant and to kind of look after her, play a bit of a mentor role to her. And in doing so, he starts to think about his own life and being taken away from his own family in the jungle as a tiny baby gorilla, mm-hmm. um, also super duper cute, um, and, and kind of looking towards the future for the first time. So it becomes a sort of a story about the animal's regaining their freedom and even though the trailer absolutely gives away every detail of that story and how they do that i'm not going to so that's up to you if you want to know the just watch the trailer it really is it is the anti-tenant trailer i just find this a bit tiresome at times i think there's some great stuff in it uh there, there's a moment where uh ivan is talking about losing his family and how his, uh, you know, his twin sister essentially was replaced with a small cuddly toy gorilla, and it it did bring a tear to my eye. I'll be honest; it mm-hmm. worked to that extent. Um, the ending I also find quite moving. Everything else I just find kind of exasperating. And uh, despite the best efforts of the cast, I mean, this is literally the kind of film that you know makes fart gags because kids are going to watch it, so they've yeah. got to be in there some some somewhere. And and that kind of thing gets <laughs> wearisome. Fart gags. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you should also bear in mind, I, I historically don't love talking animal films. This is why I didn't think you would like Tenet, uh, to be honest. I thought the talking <laughs> hippo would have put you right off. But you know, I mean, that was not. just one hippo. And, and I thought it was it was so great what Aaron Taylor Johnson did with the hippo that, that I, I thought it was <laughs> fantastic. But um, but no, I like it's the same reason. Like I, I'm all day Little Mermaid over Lion King. You know, there's just no question. I'm Sleeping Beauty wow. over Fantasia or Dumbo. You're such an animalist. I'm 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 an animalist. Yeah, I, I like I, I get that those films are good. I just I, they don't work for me in the same way. So you're. Mm mileage may vary but for me the one and only ivan was not great i had a decent time with it i thought it was fine it, you know and a pleasant and diverting distraction well voiced some of the scenes worked to me pretty well it's a movie that's kind of caught between wanting to condemn the notion of keeping animals in captivity and we could have a discussion about whether that's good or bad 
uh, and it would go on for hours, of course. Um, you know, you could you could say that zoos have an important role to play in introducing kids and conservation and keeping animals from poachers and keeping them from extinction and whatnot. And there are people who are absolutely against that. Um, one thing I'm absolutely totally against is a mall circus. Mm-hmm. But the movie kind of, it can't make up its mind whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, whether Brian Cranston is a good guy who has a heart of gold and he has Ivan's best interests at heart, or whether he's a rapacious, greedy guy who wants to abuse and, you know, manipulate these animals for just to line his own pocket. And it can't quite make up its mind whether he's a good guy or a bad guy. And I think that maybe is reflected as well in the film. It can't quite decide what it is, I think, ultimately. Um, but, you know, I think kids would be pleasantly diverted by it. I understood it. <laughs> I have to say, it was great. I don't need to revisit it a second time because I didn't understand anything that was happening in the last half an hour. So that was great. I really enjoyed that. And it had a farting dog. So therefore, I'm going to give this 77 stars. Oh my God. Uh, we don't have an official Empire review yet. Ben Travis is on the case with that uh, as we record the podcast. Uh, so I'm going to guess, knowing Ben, he's the nicest guy in the world. Uh, he will love this film unreservedly. So 77 stars then for the one and only Ivan. I'd say we'll, go, we'll probably go three. I would say three stars for the one and only Ivan. But you never know. It might be two. It might be four. One thing I'm pretty sure of, it won't be five. If it, if it is, we need to get Ben help quickly because he clearly has some kind of fever. <laughs> yes, precisely. Anyway, on that note, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by... Annette Benning. Ooh. That's exciting. Star of Hope Gap, in which she and Bill Nighy have marital difficulties. Actual acting royalty on the old Empire podcast. Um, But until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, it is goodbye from El Nugino himself, John Nugent. Farewell. It is goodbye from, and I've just realised that this is a palindrome and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, James Dyer. What have you got there? It is... The longest palindrome in everyday use. Uh, in everyday use, it is a Finnish word that I won't attempt to pronounce, but it means soapstone vendor in Finnish. <laughs> really, puakivikaupias or something like that. <laughs> when you say when you say everyday use, James, yeah, do you I mean, use it how... every day? Look, look. In Finland, they clearly buy a lot of soapstones, and the people who sell them are called this. What do they use it for, James? What the soapstone? Mm-hmm. And, like. So maybe. Okay. But anyway, thanks, James. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> and it's goodbye as well from protagonist, aka Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. 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 Uh, and it's goodbye from me, Casper T. Friendly Ghost. Uh, I am off to, well, I actually am off to watch Tenet again. This time, I'm going to understand it. Reminds me of that um, great joke from 30 Rock where Tracy Jordan says, <laughs> I finally understood the tw- I finally understood the ending of Sixth Sense. Those names were the people who worked on the film. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's kind of where I am with Tenet at the moment. So I, I sh- there was a running Thirty Rock joke about uh, Inception, though, wasn't there? <laughs> was there? Yeah, something like you can't confuse me. I watched Inception or something. <laughs> Amazing. That's kind of where I am. So next week I shall report back on my second viewing of Tenet. Mm. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Yep, yep. Which is bye bye backwards, I think. Okay. Bye.